You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Love Land Podcast. Um, Adam here. Matt Matt's is here remotely. Remotely from Georgia, and I'm hunkered down in my backyard, and it's, I think it was like 32 maybe is the high today. You probably might hear a little bit of wind noise, but I got two kids on, one on both ends of the house. We're in that growth period where little one is getting ready to be shifted around, and she's doing sleep training, so I'm hunkered down because there's no quiet place in the house. So <laughs> I guess our apologies up front, guys, that – um we're going to have a little bit of a two podcasts this week that are on the relatively short scenario because of the way time uh, time's laid out because Matt's traveling. We got off a trip from Iowa. You jumped on a plane the next day. You've been in Georgia for a few days, and then you come back. Um, and then, of course, I was supposed to leave, but that one had to get postponed. Uh, but it's just uh, trying, to, trying to knock these podcasts out so you're, we're not up super late uh, tonight. So... We're jumping back but into another series. That, that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that there's not quality information. Yeah. We're, uh, honestly, they're they're good action packed. Just a lot condensed right down into some uh, shorter thirty or so minute pro- probably podcasts. So, um, but yeah, we're jumping right back into another series. Yeah, um, but I'm excited. Just coming honestly. off the vegetation series podcast, and we're trying to do timely series. And I know a lot of guys are starting to hit us with questions. Um, with with uh, some projects they're working on. So we're jumping into prescribed fire this week. Kind of kick off into a three, four, maybe five-part series on prescribed fire. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, we, you know, we've certainly covered prescribed fire in the past, um, maybe with some broad strokes. But I think uh, one of the very common themes that we certainly talk to landowners about, whether we're doing consulting or whether it's commenting, emailing uh, with everyone listening – uh, prescribed fire is one of those things that everyone wants to implement, but they simply uh, don't know how to get started or are potentially fearful of getting started. And so this kind of series is to really, I think, boil things down into a basic, here is literally what you need, here is how you do it, and here's some encouragement to get going. Yeah. And then we'll talk about the different techniques that we will commonly apply Um this is not going to say necessarily that, oh, this is, hey, you listen to these four or five podcasts and you're ready to go. No. But but there's still like, hey, here's just very defined information because this window for a lot of people 
is a great window to burn. Actually, I was um, working yep, southwest Georgia yesterday, and we were walking around, and all of a sudden it's like, you guys smell that? And someone close in the neighborhood was burning. Um, but it is a fantastic time of the year to get into that burning window. Yep, for sure. Before we jump into it, though, uh, we do need to cover a few things, circle back to uh, some stuff we talked about last week. Before we do that, yeah. I want to thank one of our partners that make this podcast possible. It is coming up to turkey season, so a lot of you guys are thinking about kind of your shotgun rigs and different things you're going to need. But make sure you check out VortexOptics.com to check out some of their new uh, new items that can make your turkey hunting uh, more enjoyable, more successful. Uh, I know Matt and I are going to be excited, going to throw a few red dots on our shotguns. We actually have some new shotguns coming this year uh, that we're excited to try out, but we're going to have red dots. I know I am anyway. Matt, last oh, I yeah. heard you were going too, so... Um, right. we're going to be sporting some red dots and, uh, cause the days of shooting turkeys as they're flying and whatever, uh, are over. So <laughs> I'm pretty much like, you know what, let's stick a red dot on it. That'll be, that'll be pretty awesome. So, um, check them out. Vortexoptics.com. A lot of really cool stuff that's that, uh, you could utilize this turkey season. Uh, Matt, one thing I want to say, uh, so we did the podcast last week called so you want to be a land consultant. We had a phenomenal uh, uh, amount of people coming and encouraging and saying their thoughts. And, and uh, it was really enjoyable to read those as other people are probably in the same situation where they felt God had told them, put something on their heart, and they acted out on it and uh, have been just completely overwhelmed with the amount of, uh, with the amount of um, just power that he's shown um, through their faithfulness. So uh, for you guys that heard that and, and listened to that and, and then responded to us, it just uh, means the world to us to hear you guys um, sharing your same similar stories. I think as Christians, we should not only share our same stories of um, not only praising God and praising the Lord for his uh, His power and, and his um, just ability to inspire us and lead us, but also I think it's important that we that we share our struggles and share our our, our sins with each other to where um, basically we realize that we're all going through a lot of the same stuff and we can encourage each other and lean on each other and if one guy's down while the other one's while the other one's doing well, they can help support each other and that goes with Matt and I as well as you guys so um, had a lot of really cool stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to say, because um, of a couple people commented that I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's a that's you know that kind of brought up another point." Is um, sometimes it's not just like um, that. What Matt and I are doing is just a. How do I say this? There's a lot of people in. Um, there's there's becoming a lot of people doing consulting and, and doing land habitat restoration, a lot of land managers. And that's not to say I, I hope it didn't come across last week as a as a like, well, don't do it unless you've you've prayed about it. I think that's a strong step, but at the same time there's not not to hopefully deter anybody from going, I I feel like competition, there's a lot of it whatever it is, if you prayed about it and you feel God's doing it, regardless if you feel like it's impossible, that's a great chance for God to say, Nope. This is where I'm going to show up for you and show that even though you feel like you're up against a, uh, a Goliath here, I'm going to come through for you and you're going to see just what I can do. And, uh, you know, so if you're, I, I think Matt and I, when we started out and it was a little bit like, so we're going to be land consultants. <laughs> where do you go and get that degree? And yeah. where do we go where we're not going to be, frankly, feel like competition with uh, with so many other people that we've watched their content or worked with or whatever it may be, how do how do we carve out a piece of our own our of our own here? And it's just like a great chance to say, I don't know how he's going to do it, but God is going to show up, and He's shown up for us. So wherever you're at, if you're praying through it, just know that it may seem impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. So Matt, totally. you got anything you want to add on that? Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, that's just cold hard facts right there. Um, and, and yeah, but in, in no way, shape, or form is it you know to say don't 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 come and try this kind of thing. It's just a, a truthful message of hey, this is this is our our story of um, struggle and success, but it's not it's not going to happen um, you know overnight probably. 
most likely. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Um, but that does not mean that, you know, with the blessing of God's hand on it or anything else in your life, that it can't be successful and, sure. and, and just follow through with that, which what whatever it is. Yeah. Whether you're consulting or, or you want to be the best real estate agent or you want to be the best dad, it doesn't matter. Just pray through it. So, yeah, man. All right. Oh, man. So jumping in Prescribed Fire, we're going to have several. There's going to be a couple episodes on this or a couple podcasts over the next month, February. Um, and and um, we're going to cover all kinds of different things. But this week is kind of the introduction, the tools needed um, to really start implementing Prescribed Fire. Um, I don't know how often we say it or how many times we need to say it, but for some of you guys that have been with us from the very beginning and you've listened all the way back to like podcast one through a hundred, cause we're coming up on a 300th episode, which is just insane. But when you do two a week, it doesn't take long to get there. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about prescribed fire, but because of, you know, we've been doing this for this, this long and you guys continue to share these podcasts on social media platforms and with your friends so new people continue to pick it up we're going to keep probably sharing some of the some of the stuff that um we uh that we've talked about before but hopefully this is going to have a new twist on it and you guys can uh can basically uh pick up new things but there are not a lot of new listeners so um sorry if you feel like we've covered some of this before but we're certainly trying to just reiterate the importance of prescribed fire and uh, how you guys can utilize it yeah definitely and i think you know with prescribed fire there are again it's it's a it can be a getting started in an introductory a very big learning curve and kind of a, a, a step of faith for a lot of people. But here's the good thing that we're going to cover today. And I think it's a super important place to start is it's the equipment to get started is not big at all. It's not expensive. And, and with the return that you would need or, or that you would get from implementing prescribed fire appropriately is incredible. And so Again, we're, we're always looking at like that efficiency side of things. So it's like if I don't have to have a lot of equipment to do this, but the return's this big, man, I've, this is just one of those things that I need to figure out. Yeah. I mean, consider, you know, a tractor. This is dirt cheap compared to you planting a food plot and we're getting we're covering more acres and we're doing, we're making a bigger impact and we're putting more food on the ground and we're managing cover and all these different things with fire. And the, let's say the introduction to it monetary wise is, is pretty minimal. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's so unbelievable. And for you guys that are, are quickly, if you haven't shut us off yet because you're in a state that you're like, I can't burn up here. They don't allow it. It's a, uh, um, don't, don't don't turn it off yet. That was my glove, by the way. I don't know if you heard that, but it had similarities so. to another sound. Um, I'm standing outside, and I have my big first light. I forget what they're called, but they're super warm. They have, like, Sherpa fleece oh, yeah. inside yeah. them. Um, and so, anyway, um, what I was going to say was, with our approach in holistic land management, trying to really manage for a ecosy- an ecosystem that's healthy and not really focusing in on one species that's native to that, but really trying to manage in a in a way that if there's a, a little Tweety bird, whatever that bird may be, whether it's some sort of uh, sparrow or, I don't know, warbler um, that's native to that area and it's a woodland species, there's nothing that we're going to try to do that's not benefiting it any more than a white-tailed deer. We really try to focus in on managing for ecosystem health. And because of that, a lot of that involves replicating natural disturbances. And a lot of those natural disturbances come in the form of the two big ones, grazing and fire. And fire is, in 2021, has a very... Um, scary sound, look, appearance, facade, if you will, to it. And so this is a this is a management tool that we utilize that 
kind of almost can quickly split the crowd for for our listeners of guys who want to do it and and can do it or guys who just rule it out because it's not possible or they have a very scared fear factor with it. And so this is where we try to, I guess, focus on the approach and the message and not so much on the um, one game species that we're managing for. And I say that because when it comes to prescribed fire, we are just replicating nature and trying to maximize and increase the potential of our landscape because the species that live there have adapted over time, evolved over time, whichever word you want to use, but basically they have learned to grow and benefit from prescribed or from fire more than not. And so a lot of species need that fire to really thrive. And so when you're not utilizing fire in a landscape that was shaped by fire, you can only bring that ceiling of productiveness so high before you top it off and go, this is as good as it can be. And you wonder why it's struggling or why you constantly feel like some of your animals, game species are not doing as well as you heard the old timers talk about in the 70s. And you say, what am I missing? It's probably that major disturbance that happened historically that is no longer on the landscape. And so yeah. I, go, go ahead, Matt. I talked a while there. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, there, there's a lot, there's a lot in there, but a lot of good stuff. And that's, that's the, that's the a benefit in my opinion of prescribed fire from the fact that it, it literally, it, it doesn't, um, let's say single out things differently when it's trying to maintain things. So that was probably confusing as heck. But what I mean is when you're running a chainsaw as an individual, you're the one who's actually doing the disturbance. You're going in with chainsaw and you're cutting or you're choosing not to cut something for, for whatever its purpose. When prescribed fire moves across the landscape, it doesn't matter if you're a bramble, doesn't matter if you're a grass, doesn't matter if you're a shrub, it will burn in and around you. So it's covering a huge, huge area. Um, and it's, and it is a natural tool that manages the landscape. So why, why would we get away from trying to use something that was just so impactful? And I don't want to say it didn't, um, the, the way my fire moves through a landscape is totally dependent upon the fuel load that's there. And and that's totally. why the use of fuel or the use of prescribed fire actually manages the fuel. When you use it more, the more controlled it actually becomes. And, and yep. that's the whole benefit, too, of a tool, um, just like grazing as a disturbance or just like chainsaw as a disturbance or timbering as a disturbance or herbicide as a disturbance. If you don't use that tool, whether it's to the degree that you need to, um, as aggressively as you need to, then your results will be less than desirable. But if you use that tool too much, then you can begin to damage things yeah um and and so but but fire at the same time as we're learned there's 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 a lot there with dormant season growing season fire return intervals fuel management everything there's a lot to learn but my gosh does it not just create some of the perfect responses that you can that you could ever really want and imagine um, for sure it, it, you, no, I, you mentioned something that, there, that you mentioned something there that I, that is one of the benefits of prescribed fire in comparison to running a chainsaw. When you run a chainsaw, you have to look every tree over and you have to decide whether you're going to fire it or promote it or or uh, re, readjust its role. And you, yep. so there's always that thought: okay, is this tree healthy? Non not healthy? A species I want? A species I don't want? And with fire, you kind of get that. Just uh, it does the thinking for you in a lot of ways. If you if you utilize it correctly and you're implementing it in a safe manner, and you're doing, you know, backing fires or just very controlled fires using the right, um, you've got the right settings for it, and and we'll go over those in a little bit. But 
everything is perfect for you to make sure that it's under control and you send a fire across and all of a sudden you've got some trees that start burning up and you're like, what in the world? Well, the fire picked, most likely you had a tree that was diseased, unhealthy, had some bad spots and that fire weeded it out. It does a Mm -hmm. lot of things for us that we don't even realize that basically it creates a healthier ecosystem. If there's a a plant or a tree or something that is not healthy, it has a better chance of weeding it out to ensure future generations of healthy genetics are passed down. And that's the beautiful thing about fire. That's the beautiful thing about God's creation and the way he designed it is we're just it's it's managing with broad bru- with very broad brush brush strokes but at the same time all the way down to very fine tuned um mm-hmm. management which is just I, I think unbelievable word, to think about the the word i was looking for and couldn't get to but then when you're explaining it's like oh yeah that's the word I was, it doesn't discriminate basically yeah. if if it can burn through or if it burns around something you know it it's going to do that. And so if we want to replicate nature, we have to use that type of tool. You know, if we're trying to bring back a savanna, if we're trying to manage a woodland, if we're managing for a prairie-like setting um, or we're managing an old field situation, well, fire would have ran across there. And, and to get that back in peak performance – we need to use and manage it in the exact same way. That's and right. That's very much so in uh, a non-discriminating way. That's what fire. That's why fire is so good. Like herbicide doesn't go and and spray something that you don't want it to spray. You literally point it there and have to shoot it and apply it. Yeah. Same thing with cutting. If and something so, dies because of herbicide, and you didn't spray it or or basically if you're out with herbicide and you have collateral damage it's because of your fault not not the herbicide's fault and fire has a little what has a different approach where it just manages it in a very same way that predators apex predators do with prey species is they typically pick off the weaker link the genetically inferior or um hurt, disease, whatever it may be, to where the species that survive are the best and they pass down the best genetics. And therefore, over time, you have a herd or a species that's had the best genetics passed on and passed on and passed on and passed on. And um, when you really get out of nature's natural cycles the way God designed it, you can really start teeter-tottering on healthy ecosystems. And that's really where we're at today is we have a lot of we we have a lot of a lot of acres in the United States that have gone away from natural management and replicating nature and we're here to to basically reap the reap the whirlwind um and in the fact that our forests are most likely and in a lot of cases unhealthy and we have major fires we have major problems we have major erosion issues we have major disease kill offs we have insect kills we have lots of problems and really, if we if we want to get down to the simplest term, we got to get back to the way nature God designed it, the way nature was designed, and replicate it. And and and, and so I say that because um, I want to I want to touch on something real quick um, about prescribed fire. If you guys are in states or in regions where you feel like it's not necessary or that you can't burn. That's where you need to start doing some research. And this is where hopefully this podcast can inspire you to to reach out and find those prescribed fire councils or f- talk to your Department of Natural Resource and do your and do your research of understanding your natural history to your region in the country because if you are in a co- part of the country that is woodlands or savannas or grasslands or mixed forest um, close to those, you probably had historical fires. And and, and I would say and more you, people are in those areas, even if you don't think you are in that area, you you more or less probably are. That was managed by we're, fire. We're in a time we're in a time where everybody's starting to get very environmental conscious and, and the heck with the politics. Stop it. We we should all, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we should we should be looking for an or an independent should be looking for a healthy ecosystem, a healthy environment, and and conservation should be well above politics. It's something we should all agree on. Now, the way we get there, the way we manage it, that's where we have our differences. But um, if you look at and you find those natural sites where 
historically burned, and you're not allowed to, that's where you got to get into legislation. Local legislation all the way up to the state and maybe even higher up. But it's up to us as land managers to do this. And here's the thing that we have found, that regardless if you're a deer hunter or a bird watcher, at the end of the day, science speaks volumes. And so if the science proves that this was historically burned and the plant species here thrive off a fire and the animal species here benefit from that fire, it shouldn't be something that we could argue about. It should be something that we just say, you know what, this makes sense. We got to do it. And hopefully that's the direction that we can move into this in this country of people understanding that um, true science and historical natural science of this is history proves it our current research proves it this needs to happen for a healthy ecosystem and hopefully we'll get there and put our politics aside and understand that it's important we're we're uh we're blessed to be able to travel and see everything that we do see and see parts of america um that are just naturally gorgeous and, and beautiful um, and then, and then we see the the flip side of that too. We see sites where um, things have been mismanaged, fire has not been used, things have not been maintained to the degree that they have. Whether yep. it's a combination of fire or poor timber harvest, uh, and then the lack of management from there. But but literally, we we see on a daily basis what the lack of fire has done, and then the species trees not just grasses and forbs but literally trees are growing at rates and i say rates i mean like a densities or percentages of canopies that they should not be growing at all We're, we see mid-story or or um trees that are, that should be a, a much smaller percentage of the overall canopy consuming large lion share percentages absolutely and that's a direct result of mismanagement and and lack of fire and yep. lack of maintenance yep and and that's i mean long-term spectrum i i know again i don't care if you are a deer hunter or a bird hunter or watcher bird watcher we need to like wake up and see these things we need to we need to recognize what the, what should be growing there and what shouldn't be growing there or at least shouldn't be growing at that composition level yeah and and it's alarming to to know um and be aware of that when you walk around and and you start to examine things it's like man we are out of balance and that's why really we love prescribed fire so much because again it doesn't discriminate it's 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 the great equalizer it is a checks and balance and it puts things let's just say in its place and and says if you as a plant can't handle fire on this site, then you won't be here. That's right. Whereas yep. now, like, it, with it, no fire, it's they're growing everywhere. And a perfect example of that is autumn olive. One of the invasive shrubs that we have is very thin bark, can't handle fire. And it's like, oh, you're growing in places that were historically burned. Well, if fire was here, you wouldn't have a place. You'd be gonzo. And yeah. uh, and and it's just it's very frustrating. And not to, there's another side of this prescribed fire too, before we really get into the list. But um, the other thing I've seen some, when we talk about environmental issues or environmental movements, it seems like regenerative agriculture, which Matt and I both are huge fans of and and follow along. But there's a portion of that where they don't like fire. And my mind is blown. Um, and, I, and I'm saying all this because hopefully you listeners, if you find yourself in a conversation um, with people talking about that, you can have you can you can start to study this or even have a little bit of a rebuttal when people say prescribed fire is bad for carbon um, uh, for releasing carbon in the atmosphere. And and that's the big argument regenerative agriculture is using is that they want to be putting carbon in the soil so there's no burning. But yet they're managing a lot of these people in, in ag world of grazing are managing grasslands. It's blowing my mind. Grasslands were historically burned. Both well, set and, by and, right. The both, soil you're trying to conserve was built off of the presence of fire. And the plants you're trying to graze do better off right. of fire. And the animals, uh, the wildlife, uh, and, uh, everything that is there minus your cows 
evolved with fire. And so um, it, it makes no sense to me. Yes, you're, you're going to lose a little bit of car, uh, some carbon in your fire, but at the same time, those plants that come back flourishing, most likely, I haven't seen research about this, so this is p- total opinion right here. So guys, take it or leave it. But the, the carbon that would get released in those fires, if you're creating a healthier ecosystem, let's say in a woodland too, and you have trees that are growing much faster now because they're not as densely packed, they are taking in more carbon than a tree that's in a densely packed forest that's not been burned. So, uh, well, you forgot to, to throw in the unhealthy tree. Oh, yeah, the forest. unhealthy tree as well. It's yeah. not functioning properly, period. Yeah. So, you guys, if you're in a, you know, we're gonna have we're gonna have a fight on our hands in the future of of uh, managing landscapes the way we should be managing them in nature's image the way God designed them. So that's your call. If you feel passionate about this, maybe you should consider <laughs> running for politics, getting involved yeah. well, in in your state park or your forest there, and going to the meetings or if it's public land. If there's open for political opinion, voice it. Because if you're not voicing it, they don't realize people are concerned about it. And we need to do it with education and with consistency and with passion um, and and with respect to to everybody. But we if you bring education and knowledge to the table, um, you know, it. Yeah, sure. It's it's non-refutable. Right. Yep. Uh, and that's what that's what we need to be uh, focused on. But again, it comes from a place of passion because we're we're all about trying to make the landscape. Um, as healthy and functional as it can be. And I know that's a big kind of introduction to why fire is important. And we didn't even mention antlers. We didn't even mention turkey numbers. We didn't mention quail numbers. This is just strictly land. This is this is like the ethical, responsible thing to do. That And, it, and we're talking about burning stuff. It doesn't sound necessarily right, but it is 100% right. And I'll take that to the grave with me. Like, stand by it. We need to be managing these resources, and fire is one of the very tools that I'm going to be using every year. Uh, you know, Matt, there's it's funny. Over time, you can typically see opinions or, or I guess it is opinions. That's the only word I can think of. Opinions change. Ideas change to where people can say do the X, Y, Z for a long time and then realize, oh, that was wrong. And they kind of change and they say, actually, we need to do it ABC or one, two, three rather than X, Y, Z. And so it's people that have been doing this forever or, or have been t- with a platform or a voice on land for, for, or wildlife for a long time, you can see how things have changed for them, whether they learn something new or not, or they put away their bias and, and accept science or research. But when it comes to prescribed fire... I really don't see myself changing from now till, Lord willing, 60 years from now. I'm not sure there's anything that will make me say, you know what, prescribed fire is bad. We need to go away from it. No. I, I really don't. I don't and, see myself eating, eating the words that, that will be recorded on this podcast I, in, in the next few weeks. And so, so far, I really don't, based on our main management principles – that, that, I guess that would be something I would be fearful for you guys, for your listeners, is that I'm not sure we're going to have anything new over the over the course of the next 10 years that we don't advocate for now. Um, whether it be edge feathering, young forest, old field management, prairie restoration, woodland, savanna restoration, glade restoration, I'm not sure there's any kind of thing that we're going to say, we were wrong about that. Because it's those, pretty much those. been the same since we started. Yep. So absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Before we round out this podcast, we got a whole list of things that you should <laughs> yes. be rounding up and getting ready for if you are going to implement a prescribed fire on your farm. And and this is you know as you guys are listening, take notes on this. Uh, basically, build a build a prescribed fire checklist off of this make sure you know before you guys are going out there uh, you have all your tools ready maybe it's a friday evening and you're like we're burning tomorrow i want to make sure i've got everything write these down create a checklist off of this 
don't go start something unless you've got these ready, prepared um, as, as part of your burn plan, essentially. But we're going to go through them, um, maybe maybe add, add a couple little you know hints to each one, a little specific details. But I, I'm not this is this is a fully inclusive list of Adam, what you and I would use to go and burn tomorrow. Like this is not just like, Oh, you get by with this stuff. It's like, no, literally I don't need, I don't, I really don't need anything else. Maybe, maybe you have a a bigger piece of equipment or something like that. Cool. But literally we'll go burn a hundred acres with this exact equipment tomorrow. And and most people aren't necessarily burning a hundred acres. They're going to burn, a 20 acre patch or burn a five acre patch. They're going to burn, you know, 40 acres, but it doesn't matter with you're burning five acres or you're burning a hundred or 200. These are the tools that I'm going to have with me period. And they're so stinking easy. Yep. For sure. What you got, what you got on the list? What? Well, first things first. Um, the, the thing we use most with burning is we use weather.gov or NOAA for our um, fire forecast. And so uh, what we use when we go there is just type in weather.gov, type in your location, and then whenever you get to your location, look for the bar graph uh, or line graph, I guess it is, on the in the bottom. I, f- I don't know where it's going to show up on whether Windows or Mac or your phone or whatever, but you're looking for the line graph. And when you get to the line, click on it, and it will give you hour by hour. And usually it can go out to like 10 days, but some of the weather things will only go for like two and a half days maybe or three days. And you're looking for the little check boxes down low and look for the one that says fire weather and click all those. And it will give you like uh, mixing height, uh, ceiling height, uh, Haynes index, um, I think those are the, really the big three that I look for. And so I click on those, and then it'll update and give you a new line graph, and it'll include those things, um, those readings that you clicked on for fire weather. And so whether we're burning a grassland or we're burning a woodland, so let's just say we're burning a woodland, and I'm looking at that NOAA, that weather.gov website. I'm looking for, because I'm burning timber, I'm going to look for a humidity ranging from 45% down to 30%. Uh, being ideal if it's been setting for a while i might burn in the 50s or low 60s but i really would like to be 50 to 30 30 to 50 percent relative humidity Uh, haynes index i I like a four or a five i don't like a six typically um but i will if it's my only day and it's a and it's a a well-contained woodlot i'll burn on a haynes index of six um, and I don't, and that's, a, that's a relative score of how good things are going to burn. Yeah, it's kind of like your 1,000-hour fuel. Uh, kind of Basically, whether you're going to see big logs burn all the way down to green grass or something. Uh, so, right. you know, a Haynes Index, I'm looking for a 4 or 5. Uh, if it gets down to 1 or 2, it's not going to burn real well. If it's a 6, it's going to burn really well. And you got to worry about burning your neighbor's place. So I would only – I probably wouldn't burn grasslands on 6s. Um, unless I was burning at night. Um, and then the other thing I'm looking at is my ceiling height. I like a high ceiling. Um, so the higher the number, basically the higher ceiling is, uh, meaning that the smoke's going to go up rather than lay across the landscape. Um, it's going to be a column of smoke straight above wherever you're burning. Yeah. Like a bluebird, the higher the ceiling is basically a bluebird day. Um, if yep. it's a low ceiling, you're going to have low cloud cover. And then the other thing that I look for is um, the wind speed. If it's really windy, of course, I don't burn. I don't like to burn over 15 miles an hour. I like that 5 to 15. Um, I do like a little wind. It helps feed that fire. Um, but I don't like I don't like a lot of wind. So there is a, a little window in time there um, uh, of all of, all of these things lining up to create a really, really good day to burn. And we're going to talk in other weeks, too, about, you know, conditions and and how to get those, not necessarily right, but, like, preparing for everything. So yep. but that's a great, a great uh, point to say, 
we're checking the weather ahead of time and we're looking for those specific features and that's going to say burn day or no burn day um, and make a game plan for packing the rest of the equipment. And before I go to uh, number two on the list, um, you typically can't plan out a burn day weeks in advance. So you kind of Correct. go a little bit. We'll play it by ear. It's the it's the way of the way of uh, making a calendar that my wife hates. I ah, will play it by ear. We really don't know yet. I don't know if I go Saturday or not. That's burn days is going okay. out. It looks like Saturday might be good, but we're gonna have to wait till it gets two days out. I mean, we're, we can talk about even within a single day, within an hour, weather changes. I've been and, on, and it, it can turn from a poor burn day cloud cover and then the clouds leave and it's a great burn day i've been on burns where it was supposed to be 31 as the as a low of the relative humidity and all of a sudden the fire started jumping and uh the guy threw out his kestrel um weather uh tool and it was 17 and so uh it can drop um so yeah all right number two drip torch obviously uh, you know, there's other tools people use, but man, it's just, it's 140 bucks well spent if you're doing prescribed fire. A drip torch is a, a killer. Don't, uh, the, the little propane or butane lighters are just, a, I mean, it's, it's a t-ball bat playing a professional baseball game. It, it just <laughs> exactly. is, is just, it's a crutch. Just spend a little extra money and get the drip torch. And, and. Because you're going to need the fuel. If you're doing bigger fires, you're stripping things out, you're going to need fuel for a drip yeah. torch. Like, get get it. Yeah. Get the big fuel. Yeah. Okay. Two-way radios. This way you guys can all communicate on your on your fire. Um, you can talk to everybody because sometimes cell service will not be uh, good. And so having two-way radios is important. And also, if you want to spend the money, if you've got a little bit bigger two-way radio, which I would – if you have the money, do it. But try to get ones that have a, a, a better range than two miles because those just don't last if you're if you're burning a very big unit. And uh, the chest harness is another thing that uh, forestry supplier sells that you can put that in there and carry matches and other things. So uh, two-way radio that's got a good battery and a chest harness or some sort of clip so you can have it right up next to your chest. You don't have to keep reaching in your pocket with gloves because you're holding a fuel, yep. you know, a drip torch and a rake in the other hand. Backpack blowers. Rather than the handheld blowers, backpack blowers are great. And uh, try to get the bigger ones. Um, Steel, Husqvarna are- both make pretty good ones, but the big ones that can throw a lot of throw a lot of debris out. Not only are those great on fire day, hopefully you don't have to use them at all, um, but... They're great to have, but most importantly for making the fire line through timber. It, it's a BR-500 and a BR-600 There's a steel model that you want to get leaves out of the way? There you go. Yep. Those, those are your tools. And then the mechanical way, metal leaf rakes. Uh, forestry supplies, again, um, try to get the ones that are strong wire, that are all metal, not plastic. You'll melt them. Um, get all metal, a good sturdy hickory um, handle is a must. So, and I will say this too. Usually, Adam, when when we're burning, it's um, you have a drip torch in one hand and a rake in the other, yep. or we're wearing a backpack blower and a drip torch because you you need both. Don't yep. just say, uh, I'm just gonna pick one of these. Like yep. you have two hands, yep. carry both. You're Typically, what I'd like to see on a fire crew is the man running the drip torch or the people running the drip torch have a rake in their hand, and a guy has a has a backpack blower, and he's got fuel close. Maybe he's got an extra can clipped on his tool belt, but he's got a rake also in case somebody runs up and needs that. Um, or uh, he's got the spare drip torch that he's not lighting with. He's just carrying it, so he's got an extra fuel. Fuel um, management. Yep. Uh, leather gloves. Don't yes. get anything polyester, and we'll say that again with the clothing. But don't get anything polyester that's very flammable. Make sure you're wearing leather gloves or flame retard. Uh, what had ret- ret- retardant retardant gloves. Yes. Um. So, because whether you want to or not, there's going to come time where you may have to feel the heat, and you do not want to wear something that's going to melt to your skin. And 
you're going to have like it's inevitable you're going to get fuel on your hand or on your glove and lord knows you don't want polyester and and a flame to get on that yep next up fuel cans you want to have extra fuel cans not only for atv this just got straight premium gasoline but then you've got red fuel cans that are marked that are fuel mix for your chainsaws and backpack blowers um and then you also have fuel cans that are that are for the drip torch and so those are what we typically have are the diesel ones that are either blue uh well the diesel ones are yellow or you have the kerosene ones which are blue um and so that's designated very clearly marked as to what they are and what is in there and you don't ever mix them you just say yep i've got cans for fire fuel and that's it that's what goes in them Next up, ATV or UTV, it's not an absolute for fire, but it is a great tool. So if the more the merrier. Um, yep. Cell phone, because in case it does get out, you need to be able to call fire backup. So having a cell phone, and maybe it's given to the person that you know is going to be standing in cell service the whole time, so it can be radioed to them, and then they can call for help. Next up, a burn plan. If you've never written a burn plan, a lot of state agencies offer templates for burn plans. They offer schooling to help you create burn plans. But having a burn plan in mind um, and on paper and go over the map and, and kind of what the layout's going to be so everybody knows exactly what's going on. Uh, and then a fire chief, a designated person who's the hot, who's the, who's the boss, who's the guy that's directing. Usually yeah. the guy, t- better be the guy with the most fire experience and having too many uh, cooks in the kitchen is a bad day on a fire. So one guy who calls the shots. Um, and it's important for that person to clearly, before any flame is put on the ground, to clearly de- describe what the plan is of attack, how they're going to be lighting, where they're going to be lighting. Then once that once the, they got a black line in, where people are heading, like they're the role giver. That's that that person's job. But they probably talk the most on the radio. Go over all that before beforehand. Yeah. All right, and then um, water tanks. So it would be nice to have a your herbicide sprayers filled up with water. So if you if you need to wet a line down or spray out some spots, you've got it. So water tanks or herbicide herbicide tanks filled with water, ready to rock on a UTV or even a backpack sprayer would be nice. Um, mm-hmm. So you you can just treat hot spots or wet a line if it's if the fire line is. Let's just say weedy to grass, and you need to kind of make sure that it's not going to jump. That's a great way. Uh, phone call to neighbors. That's a that's not a must, but it's certainly a, a way to help improve your relationships and make sure they don't call the fire department saying that there's a wildfire. Um, so call your neighbors. They're going to be right there. They're going to be seeing the smoke, seeing the glow if it's at night. Just let them know you're going to be burning. Uh, same time, call rural fire, whoever the fire uh, department is for that part of the world call them or dispatch and let them know you're going to be burning tell them what you're going to be burning and typically we call them when we are done so they know that if i get any calls after that came in then the fire's back or the fire's going somewhere it shouldn't Uh, some farms don't have a physical address so either potentially have coordinates of where the fire is going to be at or a road intersection because they may ask you for that so they can log into the computer but again some farms obviously it's just raw land they don't have a physical address so know where you're burning and know how to communicate that to dispatch when you call them nomex pants and shirt that's what you see the guys out west it's like forest green and a yellow shirt that's kind of the the color go-to but just nomex uh would be great it is kind of expensive but just wear pants. Rule of thumb is just don't wear polyesters. Wear denim. Um, wear a, a cotton shirt. Something that's not extremely flammable like some of those polyesters are. So um, another thing, I, too, would be all leather boots would be preferred. Yeah. Um, and, typically and with sleeve. a more aggressive, aggressive sole. And then, like Matt said, long sleeves. Long sleeves because when you need to get close to the fire if you need to rake it out or if you're have a jump you you're need to get close to it it is hot yeah real hot and the briars if, if you're burning an old field of grass yes. another thing you could do is where take a bandana if you are second in line on that fire it can get a little smoky 
um, and yep. a bandana will help fight off that smoke. Um, and of course, sunglasses, ones that cover yep. up your whole eye would be great. Um, and then of course, chainsaw and gear in case you have snags. Um, so yep. that inc- that includes chainsaw, chaps, helmet, wedges, a hatchet or an axe to wedge because. Sometimes if it is on fire, you may need to really get, uh, if it's already burning, you may need to really get a good cut and make sure it falls and stays inside the fire unit. Um, and, and that includes, uh, fuel and, and bar oil and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the list. What, What do you got? You need lots of water to be able to drink for yourself and then a lighter. Oh, obviously. Gotta start the fire. Uh, obviously a lighter. a lighter. Yeah, a lighter. Drink water. I, I don't know. I'm kind of a guy that I need to have for every two bottles of water I drink. I need to have a Gatorade. Seems like those electrolytes, some sort of electrolytes thrown in the mix, can help me avoid headaches. And and honestly, I take it a leave before every fire too. Um, it just helps. And so, uh, yeah, and, and, and plenty of snacks. Like you're, it, you're gonna get hot. You're gonna get smoky. There's going to be some points where the wind blows, the wind shifts. It's all in your face. It's gross. If you're next to the fire line, you'll literally have – you'll roll up your pants when you're done above your sock line. Your leg will be black from the smoke. Like, that's just part of the game. But, yeah. man, if you're prepared for it, if you're ready for it, um, you know, there, should, there shouldn't be any surprises when it comes to fire. And, again, most of these things, if you're doing most timber burns – we're talking flame heights of a foot, maybe. Yeah. Like, if it's over three foot, uh, you better be of. It better be on down. purpose. Uh, uh, going right. okay. This little slope, we got great backing. Let's head fire it up through here and try to try to really set it back. But if yeah. you're trying to do back and fire and it gets three foot, whoa, something wrong. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, hopefully. Hopefully you've uh, picked up a lot and you're going to tune in over the next few weeks as we share a lot on prescribed fire and how we use it and different things to look for. Um, yeah. If you don't have that gear, start sourcing it out. Yep. Forestry suppliers is a good place. You can find a lot of this stuff even on Amazon as well yeah. um, to, to, to get it and get equipped for fire season. All right, guys. We'll catch you over on podcast number two this week. And there's a surprise on podcast number two, so be sure to check it out. Yep. Yep.